This episode is sponsored by Shoutout, a two-way text messaging and campaign management platform that provides analytics and facilitates conversational messaging that delivers, engages, and converts more. Send personalized campaigns from unique phone numbers to the message content itself, letting you brand your campaign to promote yourself and create your messages in a way that users are made to think you sent it personally for them. You can then monitor and improve your campaigns over time with real-time analytics. Start reducing messaging and campaign costs with cost-effective bulk SMS. Scale efficiently without having to worry about high costs. If you'd like to start using mass texting services with simple packages to choose from, visit GetShoutOut.com today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to master the perfect B2B pricing strategy for your SaaS. Today, we have our guest, Marcos Rivera, joining us. Marcos is the founder and CEO of Pricing.io, a company that helps growth stage B2B SaaS companies design the perfect pricing, shifting from guesswork to framework and getting ready to scale up. So welcome, Marcos. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District show today. Hi, Akil. Super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I, I want to just get off, getting started about mistakes that people make. Right? Before we get into strategies and frameworks, which you talk about, um, what do you typically see as being some of the most common mistakes that you know, you, B2B SaaS companies make when you know, setting up their pricing and their offering? Absolutely. So one of the key things that I see with a lot of companies that I work with is that they're trying to find a magic number, okay? They want to know what that perfect price point is in the model. And it really is more about monetizing the right value uh, for the right audience at the right time right? and trying to influence that behavior with the model. And so it's really bigger than just the number. The number is oftentimes the last thing you figure out in your pricing. So if I'm, if I'm trying to think of, you know, obviously you need a number that needs to, to show and you know, reveal to your customers. So what are the, some of the main factors that you look at? So besides, you know, besides some of the, you know, this is my expenses, this is what my costs are going to be. Um, what else is really influencing the price of the product? Is it, is it the perception? Is it, are you looking at competition and then basing it off of that? Yeah, so what you do is you take a bigger step back and you ask yourself, how are you going to grow, right? The big question is, is the growth coming from going down market, going up market, cross-selling and upselling to your own base? And uh, how do you want to uh, pursue those different growth paths for the year? The pricing model supports those different growth paths. And so you step back and you think about, well, if I need uh, to move down market, to use that example, then I want a lower friction, good entry-level pricing to bring folks in. And so that's the basis of any good pricing model is understanding those paths first and foremost. And then you begin to look at, great, well, based on that, who do we want to win and who do we not want to win for our customers? Then from there, if you get that very clear picture of those different bases, you then go to the last piece, which is, okay, what kind of experience do we want to give them? And that's what you price at the end of it. So those big factors come into play uh, after you figure out the first two. What do we want and who do we want to win uh, first? Hmm. I, mean, I feel like that last one is maybe not talked about uh, as much as, as I've typically heard, which is the experience. And how do you how do you quantify that, right? You can go, you know, as, as big as possible or, you know, as, as minimal as possible. And how, how do you kind of bake that in and, and factor that? Can you give some examples of what you Sure. Feel? Sure, absolutely. So one of the reasons why I use the term experience is to step away from the idea that I'm selling a, a, 
a list of features, right? Or just a, a set of capabilities in the software. It also should include how they find you, how they sign up, how they pay, onboarding, training, support, and all those things come together to build the experience. And the experience is aligned very closely to the types of customers you want to win. So customers that maybe are, they're not ready for the full experience, they're just getting their, their, their feet wet, then you can give them a very lightweight experience, very low friction. And that is something that you price typically uh, in a more, uh, more competitive environment than you would an experience for a large company who is ready for full transformation to get full into the software and needs a lot more uh, training and handholding as a result. And that's how mm -hmm. you start from that. Got it. So yeah, it depends how involved you are and you know how much support they need and, and whatnot is what you're, you're essentially saying, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so at what point are, are founders you know, typically coming to you for help and what is that a typical aha moment in the process of you know, helping them discover that their pricing can be optimized? Uh, you know, what does that journey look like when they're talking to you? Absolutely. So when, when folks reach out, it's typically because they're expanding their portfolio or they're expanding their, their market or their TAM. So typically what they're doing is they're mm. either acquiring another company uh, or they're, they're moving to a different part of the TAM, maybe moving up market to sell enterprise or going down market to capture more of the SMB or micro SMB. And what they find is that the model starts to break down. They start seeing a lot of complexity between the plans. They start seeing a lot of discounting to win deals. They start seeing longer sales cycles um, and different things like that start to manifest. And they realize, hmm, I think we need to step back and relook at how we're monetizing value, look at our pricing and packaging. So that's the, the most common uh, point when folks reach out. Make, makes sense. And as, um, as far as the aha moment is concerned, you asked me that as well. The aha moment usually is when we're stepping through, similar to what I just mentioned a minute ago when they're asking me, Marcos, how much should we charge? What's the magic number? And I say, wait, let's step back before we get to the magic number. How are we going to craft the right experience for the right audience so you can grow and meet your objectives? And at that point, they say, oh, wait a second. That's a much different way to look at it. I never thought about it that way. And that's when we start opening things up. Got it, got it. Um, and then you know, obviously pricing it, uh, you know, the actual number-wise is, is one piece of the overall monetization strategy. Um, and then the other part of it is, you know, what are we charging for versus when to charge, right? I mean, typically you've seen, you know, smaller, um, you know, B2B market focused. Um, if you're going, you know, lower markets, you're doing upfront, you know, charging on your credit card on a monthly basis. And then, you know, sometimes uh, with enterprise, you know, you're charging, you know, 60 days out, you're getting invoice and whatnot. What, what, how do you kind of look at that, that factor into it? Yeah, I mean, those all factor into the monetization model itself. And the way you think about it, if you think about if you're experiencing um, a, a, say, a very large, fulsome product, and it's something that you're able to access over time pretty consistently, and you're able to grow into it, that experience dictates the different types of models, meaning you look more likely have something that's predictable, flat subscription basis uh, to be able to, uh, to monetize that experience appropriately. Then again, if you had something where you're more seasonal usage or it's highly consumption oriented, whether it's something that's a transaction, an API call, an email and so on, uh, or it's data volume driven, then you start to think, okay, if the experience is really around the tech and the tech is just a mechanism to get the throughput, again, going back to API calls and transactions, then some type of, of, of usage-based model is gonna be more appropriate. And if the industry, depending on how your competitors charge, how your customers are ready to pay, sometimes you need a hybrid of both. And so how you monetize, whether it's on a per transaction basis, flat basis, or the hybrid of the two is a big part of the monetization strategy overall. 
Mm. And, and do you also think about, you know, thinking about like, you know, charging on, on a monthly basis versus annual versus quarterly? How do you, how do you think about that in, into yeah. the pricing? Does that change? That, that is, that absolutely does change. And when you think about it here, most of the time, larger deal sizes tend to lend themselves better to annual or multi-year agreements. You also want to think about how long it takes the customer to get up to speed and start experiencing the value, right? So if they're able to get the value very, very quickly, then shorter terms, uh, tend to be more common. If it takes a good four to six months to even get up and running in the software, then you typically don't want to go any sooner than an annual commit. And then more than likely two to three year uh, commitments uh, are even more uh, appropriate for that stage. Right. So thinking about your time to value um, for, for when it yeah, makes sense for them to pay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, what, what about publishing pricing on, on their website and revealing pricing upfront? So I'm, I'm typically a fan, you know, uh, revealing that, but you know, also some people, you know, like to go through the demo process. I guess you know, the, it, it, it needs a sales cycle uh, for them to fully understand the value. What, what do you typically think of that, and how, how do you should should every company publish it? This is probably one of the, the top questions I get from an audience: uh, whether or not they should publish their pricing. And there's a big movement towards uh, pricing transparency. If you look today versus 10 years ago, how many companies publish their pricing? It is far more common uh, for, let's say, the B2C type of business to publish. And B2B is making their way there as well. And so I look at it this way. I think there's different degrees of transparency. You don't have to always go and publish everything on the website, particularly if you have big deals that are six figures that tend to have a lot of services negotiated with it, multi-year uh, relationships. Those things are better off with a good conversations, deeper discovery, and coming up with a price that's appropriate for what they want. But if you're looking at something that is more self-service, product-led, typically you're, you're spending you know, less than a couple hundred bucks a month, then it's very commonplace to publish your pricing there. Oftentimes, if you're on the fence and don't know which way to go, I always recommend just publish your packages at first and then slowly begin to reveal uh, the price points as your, uh, your model and your overall comfort level around the price dictates. So if you're, if you're you know, is there like a, a, a point where it doesn't make sense, like in terms of dollar amount, if you're charging, you know, 100 versus 1000 versus 10,000, uh, you know, a month. Um, I, well, is there, is there a point where you, you think it's not, you know, not worth it? I do. I do. I think that if you're, if your deal sizes, if you're just, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, let's just say 5,000 a year overall yeah. spend, you're more than likely going to have to publish your pricing. Your competitors are probably doing it. The consumers are typically uh, reading and making decisions right there on the webpage. They're entering free trials, things like that. Those are going to be uh, your scenarios where you should be publishing your pricing to give them the transparency they need to make a decision at that point. But if you're, I would say anything above 50K a year in ACV or in, in contract value, you start to think, well, you know, up there, you're, you can see bigger deal sizes evolving into six-figure deals. In those cases, you don't necessarily need to publish everything on the page. I like to do this. I like to publish your packages and then what is the driver? What are the different drivers of the pricing? Such as, hey, we price based on number of users, number of transactions, number of reports, whatever that is. And that way, at least the consumer knows, okay, when we get on the phone, these are the things that are going to drive the price up or down. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very rare that somebody will sign up right away when they see, you know, $50,000, uh, you know, pricing plan on their website, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Usually uh, at that stage, 
it's it has it does happen now now and again to see it in the ten to twenty five k range because uh, some companies are even putting that on a credit card more often today than they have five ten years ago. But when mm-hmm. it comes to fifty seventy five a hundred k or higher, uh, it's more likely going to go down the path of a demo, a, a discovery discussion, and then final pricing after that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then how does am- anchoring uh, kind of affect that model in terms of overall sales, right? Because you have the different pricing uh, structure set up. Uh, how, how do you look at that piece of it? I think anchoring is a huge, uh, impactful uh, psychological trait when it comes to pricing. And so we as yes. human beings are always comparing something to something else. That's just the way uh, we're built in our nature. And so what you'll find is that you have different anchoring effects of a larger plan next to a smaller plan, which makes the smaller plan feel a lot more reasonable. And so using those uh, techniques to better frame the pricing is very, very useful when it comes to sales. But even more common is you can actually anchor with any number against any number. That's what folks forget. So you could say something like, we process 15 million emails a day. We start at $3 a month, right? And so now that $3 feels so low compared to the 15 million, even though it's not a price-to-price comparison. So you can mm-hmm. you could uh, frame it a little bit to make your pricing seem more reasonable uh, to consume. Mm-hmm. And then you speak about something called the, the forking method. This is something I've never heard about in the past. Can you maybe share a little bit what that is and how we can use it? Sure. I mean, when it comes to uh, pricing models and packaging, you're always trying to balance simplicity and flexibility, right? You're trying to keep it simple to buy, to sell, but also flexible so you can monetize different types of value as the customer gains more value. And so one way that that companies achieve this balance is uh, using what's called the forking technique, where if you think about as you're driving down a road and you hit a fork in a road, you can go left, you can go right. Uh, What they're doing, instead of displaying every plan possible on their pricing page, is they're asking you, are you a consultant? Are you an agency? Um, Are you looking for this? Are you looking for that? And then based on that selection, you to a different sets of pricing. So you could have a, a, a lineup for pricing for one audience and then another lineup for the other and keep it, the messaging and positioning also very well targeted. Interesting. Uh, are, you yeah. showing, are you showing this directly on, on the website? Like, Yes. So the, yeah. the, 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 the forking method can be shown right there. And when you click on the pricing page, which uh, qualifies, which one are, are you? Are you this type of buyer or that type of buyer? And then it, once you click there, you then self-select into that row of pricing. So a great example of this, for instance, is MailChimp, who recently changed their pricing last year. When they changed their pricing, everyone saw their, their lineup. But now with the forking method, you can choose, I want to see the marketing platform. I want to see email transaction only. I want to see pricing for websites and e-commerce in their all different pages. And mm-hmm. so you just qualify yourself and then move to those pages and see that. So that way you don't you don't get exposed to something that's not really relevant to you. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, one part, I guess, we, you know, we have a lot of people in the audience who have, you know, the freemium or, you know, maybe even the free trial model where they're focusing on SMBs. Um, and they're trying to think, you know, how much should we, you know, the, obviously the idea of the freemium is more on the, the, the product-led growth strategy where you're getting people to sign in, use the product, and then, you know, convert to a paid customer. Um, but then you have to kind of limit uh, how much is too much, right? Because obviously a lot of, there is some cost to what you're offering them and usage of your product. Uh, how, how do you help them determine what is the right amount of access when, they, when they're you know, on, on the free plan and not paying anything? Yeah, that's always a tricky one because it depends on, on sort of the usage patterns. But I'll give you a couple things here because when it comes to free trial or freemium, 
generally speaking, you're trying to give them a taste of value. Software is always a promise of value. You actually don't get any value until you start using it. And so when you step into a free trial or freemium, generally speaking, you're looking for a couple things. One is, are they, uh, is a free trial converting around 15% or so uh, to paid? And then from a freemium perspective, is there are around 7 or 8% of that audience converting over to paid? If you're seeing less than that uh, in the freemium example, if only 1% uh, moving over to paid and 99% never pay you, then you might be giving away a bit too much value. And that could look like, uh, for example, giving them unlimited storage, giving them unlimited history. It could be um, trying to give them unlimited parameters around users uh, or giving them more premium or advanced uh, either integrations or personalization or customization. These are things I really try to avoid giving in a freemium experience. A freemium experience generally gets them to a very nice noticeable point of value, but as they want to extend and deepen in maturity, expand in complexity, that's where they need to move up and start uh, to pay for the solution. And, and you know, beyond just the amount of value and access you're giving them, is there any other you know, secrets or tips you can help people, you know, if, if they are below that, you know, five, six percent, let's say they're only converting you know, two or three percent of the users into paid customers, what else can we do to help uh, push some of those users into to being paid? Yeah, one of the big ones I always look at is taking a, a look at the pattern and the histogram of the feature usage. And so one of the things is when you're offering a freemium product, you're generally giving the customer a test drive. And so as they're going through there, what you're looking for is what features do you see start to climb over um, a, a two to six month period? So the reason why you want to start measuring there is typically month number one, uh, they're starting to get used to the uh, the product and may not have felt the value just yet. Month number two, they, maybe they're feeling the value, but but Akil, they're now expanding and making a habit out of it. And as human beings, we take a few months before we start making habits. Then months three, four, five, and six, that's when you start seeing, okay, what, what usage goes up in, the, in that period? And are we limiting that enough or creating a good drop-off threshold such that a, um, you know, a good percentage of those can start moving into the paid tier. So this is something where a company like Canonly does really well, where they limit you to one meeting type, but as you start to expand and want to have more advanced meeting types later, which happen after you build a habit of using Canonly, that's where you begin to pay. And, and how about the, the, the people who, you know, sign up and maybe uh, don't ever get through into using it enough? Um, is, is that more just on the onboarding and, you know, trying to communicate with them more to get them to use it? And, or your onboarding flow or, or any thoughts around that? Yeah, so folks that just come in and either use and drop or use on a very sporadic or periodic basis. So what you're finding there in those cases is typically getting them to that aha moment or that, or that point where they realize, wow, my life is much better with this than without this. And uh, that, that point can be very different for different, um, uh, different types of software. But generally speaking, the onboarding experience and getting them to that point whether it's through uh, uh, in nudges using email or with an in-app, which works even better than email, in-app nudges to get them to a certain point, either with uh, dummy data or some type of, of a series or sequence of tests to get them to feel that value. That's going to help ad uh, address some of those uh, early drop-offs. Because right now, nowadays, when it, especially with product-led um, and self-service, you're finding that the tolerance for trying to figure something out is really low. And so exactly. investing that in success is going to help uh, increase that throughput. Mm. So just try to make it as simple, as easy as possible to use and, and 
Yeah, makes sense. Yes, within the application itself, like almost yeah. g- giving them a sequence to follow and getting them there uh, yeah. and them directly. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like intuitive. People think you know they they'll figure it out. There's some buttons here, but you literally have to you know walk them through it, like they're you know talking to your mother or, or something like that, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. So you're, you're, you'll find that most people uh, won't won't put in the effort for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Cool, uh, Marcos. This, is, this has been fantastic. I wanna we're gonna shift gears here uh, and and you know start the part of the episode where we talk about you know more of the personal, a little bit more rapid fire questions. So, um, are you ready for that? Sure. Shoot away. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's do it. All right. Um, what's one activity you enjoy outside of outside of work uh, that gets you into flow state? Yeah. You know something. This may not work for everyone, but for me, I I took up boxing last year, and and just really, uh, it helps me clear my mind. It helps me focus, um, and it just you know keeps me sharp for uh, for a lot of the thinking that you ultimately have to do when running a business. So I would say nice. I would say boxing. Nice. What's uh, one piece of advice you wish you had known? And if you can go back, would tell your 25-year-old self today? <laughs> oh, man. I, I really, 25, I didn't know much. <laughs> but if there was something I had to tell myself now versus back then, it was I always thought either you have to be either patient or persistent. It was one or the other. And now that I'm uh, older and wiser, you can be patient and persistent, meaning persistent in getting to your milestones, but patient in them uh, actually developing. So mm-hmm. you can actually use both of those to your advantage and your situation. Yeah, that's hard when you're a 25-year-old. The only thing you, you don't have is patience, right? You want everything now and you want everything, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Yeah. yeah, you only learn it when it's, uh, it's a little, little older and wiser. Um, <laughs> what, are, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow your, your company, pricing IO, meaning, you know, what, what's keeping you up at night these days? Wow, I think the number one thing keeping me up at night is <laughs> finding and, and nurturing and orchestrating the right mix of talent on the team. Uh, and this might be a sign of the times because it's a real tough uh, talent market today. But yeah. uh, it's really, you never can invest enough time in, uh, to really get the right people uh, helping you sort of uh, drive and create value and fulfill the vision. So that's that's the number one thing is, is that talent. Mm. Is, is there any kind of folks you're looking for at the moment right now? Yeah, like right now we are looking for a pricing strategist role, which is a very impactful role working with some of the top companies in the world and helping them uh, devise their, their their pricing strategies. It's a lot of fun too. So if you know great talent out there that is has a both quantitative and qualitative balance, works great with people and good with math, would love to would love to speak with them. Okay. Yeah. If anybody listening in is, is looking to, to connect with Marcos, feel free to reach out and maybe there could be a fit there. Um Marcos, who, who or what are some of the best three resources? It can be, you know, books, uh, people, mentors, or maybe people you follow in the space who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over the last few years. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of smart people in the SaaS space. I will say I've had a, uh, a couple of books that surprised me in terms of how they impacted how I work is there's a book called Unsubscribed, which is um, uh, for those of you who just feel buried in email and trying to get out from that avalanche, a really great way to manage the flow of information coming in and out so you can be more productive. Um, a second one that really surprised me was uh, Neeradal's book around uh, Indistractable. He's the author of Hooked, but Indistractable is a great way also to stay focused and not uh, sort of veer too far away from the ultimate goal of what you're trying to drive to as a company. And I've had to give you a third resource, a uh, person 
who I like to watch is uh, a Dan Martell who runs SAS Academy. And Dan Martell is a, just a great resource, a great friend. And he is obsessed with scaling. And I just watch mm. it as he develops new ways to scale. And I always take great tips from him. So Dan Martell yeah. would be my third one. Yeah. Dan, Dan is fantastic. Yeah, he's great. Um, so, so Marcos, I, I read a little bit about your background, right? Um, I think you was, from my understanding, you were raised by a single mom, one bedroom apartment in the Bronx, obviously, you know, lived in, lived in the streets, but then you know, took kind of what your mom taught you. And, you know, fast forward today, you're, you know, your program executive director of product management, you're teaching pricing uh, to MBA students at UC San Diego and you know, coached over 100 SaaS CEOs, right? Um, so today, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you define success today? Whether that's personally business, financial life, there's no right answer. Now that you know that that's a really good question because it's different now than it was uh, back when I was 25. I'll tell you that <laughs> the way I define uh, success right now is uh, something I think of called positive momentum and energy. Right. So what what feeds you? What makes you feel good that you're moving forward? That you're growing versus something else that say like sucks the life out of you and you just dread doing. So I always you know success for me is just. Yeah, you know, moving forward in that positive momentum way, growing, feeling like you're you're getting smarter, faster, better all the time, versus you know dreading uh, waking up in the morning. So that to me is what success means. Yeah, yeah, it's could be easy to you know get spiral out of control. Right, some people get stuck into that that cycle and uh, they try to get out. But yeah, as long as you're you're moving forward in the right direction, you feel uh, listen to yourself. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a probably a stronger feeling of success. And then if you're rich and famous and and, and feeling like you hit your life right. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, love it. Um, thank you, thank you, Marcos. This has been this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed you know learning from you, listening to you, and I'm sure our audience was as well. Uh, if, if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best ways uh, for founders to get in touch with you, learn more about you and your company? No, absolutely, it was great fun. And to get in touch with me, it's quite easy. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. You could also go to pricingio.com and uh, and drop your name in there. Drop me a message. Uh, would love to reach out and talk to you. And in addition, I do have a new book coming out. It is going to hit the shelves in the beginning of July. It's called Street Pricing. If you're interested in learning more about the launch, it goes right into all the different uh, secrets and tips on setting up your SaaS pricing strategy. Just drop your name in there and we'll keep you posted. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Marcos. Uh, you guys check out pricingio.com and make sure to uh, check out his book as well when it launches in July. Thank you so much, Marcos. Appreciate Thank you for having time. me, Akil. No, my pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, Get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.